0: MS sucks. I know. I've lived with it since 1998, and man, it's been one hell of a roller coaster. When people ask, How are you doing? I say, Fine. Great. Really? Most of the time, it's a lie, because we're programmed to hide our struggles. I'm not a doctor or a researcher. I'm just a normal guy talking from experience. And let me tell you, Sharing those experiences with other people living with MS has made my life a hundred times better. So get ready for a belly-up-to-the-bar, honest conversation with real people who at first hesitate to tell the truth about life with MS, but eventually let it all hang out. I'm your host, Jim Fairchild. How you really doing? I am filled up today because this last weekend I got to marry my cousin, and not in the way that sounds, I got to perform the ceremony to marry my cousin, and it was a absolute honor that they asked me to do this, but I got to tell you, I was very worried going into it because I enjoy speaking in public, and I can be very good at it, but there are so many variables with MS. I didn't know if I was gonna have the energy. I didn't know what my mind was gonna be doing. I didn't know if I was gonna have to go to the bathroom. I didn't know how I was gonna get down to where I needed to be. There was just all these things that were on my mind. And I am very proud of the way I was able to do it this time. I actually did it differently than my normal because I took care of myself. I paid attention to rest, I spent some time in my room before the ceremony so that I could get centered and not uh, get overwhelmed with all the other activities that were going on. And it really allowed me to be present uh, like I wanted to. Uh, Going into this, it was a choice um, of perspective, I guess. I really needed to pay attention to or or not pay attention to the things I usually do of being self-conscious worrying about what everybody else is going to think, um, worrying about my inabilities. And that's what I usually do is I get stuck in my head and all this stuff is is rumbling around and I can't actually think or or perform the way I want to because I'm so nervous and worried about all the MS things that are going on with me. So it was a great relief that I was able to actually get this done Uh, I felt like a real person for this day and uh, I'm very very thankful for that because uh, my MS actually cooperated and I paid attention to it and really uh, made my recipe work Um, I had to ask for a lot of help while I was there and my family is amazing every I mean people were bending over backwards to help me and a lot of times that is a um It turns me off. I don't like when people are like that. But in this instance, in order for me to be there, in order for me to do this the way I wanted to, I needed to ask for help. I have learned something recently about asking for help, and my next guest is the one who taught it to me. Uh, Nora actually told me that you should never deny others the chance to better themselves on your behalf. Never heard that before in that way. And basically, that's like, you know, people want to help. They want to be there for me. And I just need to let that happen. Uh, it worked out great at the wedding. And it is hard to accept sometimes. But I am very happy that Nora told me this and I think that the other things that you will hear from Nora will give you a different perspective on things. Uh, I met Nora recently at an MS bike event, and she is 26 years old, but has wisdom that myself, at 44, have not yet captured yet. So I thoroughly enjoy talking to her and hearing her different perspective on things. She has been diagnosed with MS for about a year now, And it was a very tough diagnosis. She was in the hospital for six weeks with a completely numb left side. And the things that she had to go through um, are amazing to me. Luckily, I have not been in the hospital for a long period of time like that. And the things that Nora came out with and how she lives her life now are things that I have uh, actually learned a lot from and I hope you are able to learn a lot from Nora. Um, She is an effervescent personality and here she is. So Nora, when you came in today, um, came into my house for the first time Mm -hmm. and saw my dog Otis, uh, (laughs) I realized that you like dogs. What what is it? They uh, they they're pretty therapeutic, aren't uh, they?
1: Dogs are amazingly therapeutic. They're just best friends immediately. I mean, I had Otis sitting on my lap earlier, and I met him less than half an hour ago, and that that's moving pretty quickly for a new relationship.
0: It is, you know, and and <laughs> well, I, I'm kind of nervous because you said you're going to steal him. And well, I don't, he's
1: really cute. Yeah,
0: I don't think my uh, my wife and my daughters would.
1: I don't think I could do, bite all of them either. No. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Otis, my dachshund, is a, is a big deal around here. So I can see why. Yeah, he he's uh, but he's also very therapeutic. <laughs> and, and when you're having a bad day, there's nothing like having a dog sit in your lap oh, and, and kind of you know you can talk to them, and they uh, always listen. Yeah, it's a good thing.
1: When I was in the hospital, my friend Sam brought his dog Frank in, and I was in my wheelchair at the time. And Frank didn't really understand because I'd known her since she was a pup, uh-huh. and she just kept trying to climb up into my lap on the wheelchair and was like, I don't know what these armrests are and trying to, like, cozy up. And she's a big dog. Uh-huh. And she's an American bulldog, so. Big. She, yeah, she's, she's, she's got some heft to her. Yeah. Um, but it was just the cutest thing, and it was so nice because it was like she didn't notice a difference, you know? It was like I was the same person in the wheelchair that I had been out, and she didn't, you know, there was no, like, oh, my gosh, how do I act around her? It's just like, oh, it's Nora. Like, I'm just going to go play with her.
0: You gotta love that. That's you so know, cool. Other people come to the hospital and they're like, "Okay, how do I talk right. to Nora? What do I say?" And right. dogs Everything's come in Everything's on eggshells. Everything is fine. <laughs> right. Gotta love that. Yeah. I love it. Dogs okay. are awesome. They're the best. Um, the uh, the first time we met mm-hmm. was just uh, not very long ago right. at the uh, Brewfest for uh, Team Roadkill, which is a, M- a uh, go Team Roadkill right. <laughs> is the uh, MS bike team, and um, we got along. Easily. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, you're a great conversationalist to begin with, and we have a lot in common right
0: now. <laughs> we do, yeah. Hey, you know, we both have MS, so there, there's <laughs> something to talk about. Um, but the one thing that uh, I found interesting when we talked, and I don't know if you'll remember this, mm-hmm. but uh, what's your favorite type of music? Oldies. Oldies.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I'm a big fan of like 1960s doo-wop groups and 1950s, too, but more of the 60s that started to evolve towards a more psychedelic era. Um, but yeah, I love, I love that. I love classic rock. Um, I mean like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin. I'm super into them. The Beatles are obviously a classic, but yeah, I was raised on oldies and and old blues and that's, that's my sweet spot.
0: Which kind of surprised me. I mean, you're, (laughs) you're young and then I heard that you like the oldies like that. and That's not, that wasn't, that kind of, um, kind of surprised me a little bit, (laughs) which it's fun because, uh, you know, it's, uh. It takes you back and that's what's relaxing. Mm-hmm. So
1: it's my comfort music is how I yeah. used to refer to it. Like I for a while in college was very obsessed with finding the next new thing and what the new hip band was. And it got to a point where I was actually stressing myself out about uh-huh. like am you know, I listening to the right music. So I said, Screw that. <laughs> like I'm gonna make a mix of my comfort music, the stuff yeah. that makes me feel good to listen to. Yeah. And it turned out being like Otis Redding and Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and just all of these classic old stuff. And I was like, you know, this is where this is where I want to be musically, so I so I stuck there. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, and it's good to know yourself and, and not try to be you know you know hanging out with the latest greatest right. when um, you know Miley isn't really who you want to listen Mm-mm. to.
1: And I still love new music, especially when it is informed and inspired by those classic oldies that are right. in kind of my wheelhouse.
0: Informed and inspired. Mm-hmm. You must you like music, man. I, informed I too. and inspired. That, that that's good.
1: Yeah, I love music. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, besides listening to music, what else do you like to do?
1: I read a lot. <laughs> I work on schoolwork a lot because I'm in grad school right now. I'm currently getting my master's in library science, and I would have been graduating this coming August, but due to the initial exacerbation, which took, put mm-hmm. me in the hospital for a month and a half, and then a good month and a half of rehab afterwards, um, I am about two terms behind, so I'll end up graduating in May of 2015. But... School is back in session, and there is a lot of work to be done.
0: Full bore. Going full bore. Full bore.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And and um, what do you do? I I, I, uh...
1: I work at the Information Commons at Columbia Tech Center, which is the satellite campus of Clark College. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, I am there as a circulation technician is my official job title, but kind of a Jill of all trades sort of thing. I help out with checking books in and out. I do cataloging. I do... Basic reference help, if people need help working on their citations, um, which is a great position for me to be in right now because I'm getting library experience. Mm-hmm. And then when I get my actual master's degree, I will be qualified for actual library roles. but I will have had the background experience.
0: So, so what do you want to do? What's, what's your what's your job? What are, what are like you going dream for? dream job? Dream job.
1: Dream job would be to work at a, a large university, Um, As a liaison to a humanities or a literature department, my undergraduate is in comparative literature, and I've always been a huge book nerd. Um, So I really love doing the literary research and learning about these texts that are either obscure or so outdated that no one remembers them, and, and bringing them back to life in a way, and helping people connect to them now so that they stay alive. I don't know. I think there's something really cool about interacting with the words of people that are no longer with us and giving them meaning and power in our current
0: age. That is really cool. Yeah. You know, and and I love books. When I was a kid, I actually wanted to own a bookstore because mm-hmm. I loved reading so much. And, cool. And uh, my friends didn't like reading so much. They, you know, so I guess we're both nerds in that in that regard. <laughs> yeah, hey, own and, it. Yeah, I'd I,
1: rather be a nerd than I don't know almost anything else. Yeah. You know, For being me, a, yeah. Yeah. For me, being a nerd means that you're passionate about something, that that you are are informed about something, that you, you know, that you have something that means so much to you that you've tried to learn everything about it. And yeah. I think that's really cool.
0: And, pa- yeah, passion.
1: Right, exactly. Passion is great.
0: Yeah, and fantastic. Uh, and pa- passion gets you through life. It gives you purpose. It mm-hmm. gives you, you know, something to be excited about. And, and there, there's, uh, you know, a, a nerd called Bill Gates who kind of, <laughs> you know, he's done okay. You yeah, know, he's, he's doing all right. I hear yeah. Yeah, there's some other nerds that have done all right. Yeah, they
1: seem to be thriving these days. Nerd
0: power is good, so we'll go with (laughs) it. But uh, I I get a lot out of books. Um, It's so fun when you find a book that you get really into. Right,
1: that connects with you. And it changes you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When I was in the hospital... Um, going back to that. And it was a really dark time for me. It was really hard sure. emotionally trying yeah. to find like who I am. And I turned, like I always do, back to literature. And I found some pieces that really resonated with me and with my current situation. And just returning to some things that I had read before that that now I was reading in a completely new way because mm-hmm. of the the suffering and the kind of hardship that I was going through. Yeah, really helped me to search internally and figure out who I was going forward. And, and I recommend anyone that's dealing with any kind of hardship to turn to literature and, and see what can be found in books, because I think there's a lot of healing in there
0: books and dogs. That's all you, know, you really it, yeah. need. Yeah, if you just have books and dogs and you books you know, some dogs yeah. and a little bit of booze. Yeah, and, <laughs> and some cider. And you know, just like when we met at the brew fest, you know, you have a cider in your hand, I have right? a beer in my hand and and uh, that's a really good way to uh, you know, do a podcast <laughs> Absolutely. in in my high high-tech podcast room here with two with microphones on an on an old listeners. card table. So yeah. that's all we need. And my and we have a dog here too. Yeah,
1: yeah. We've got the essentials covered. Yes.
0: Totally covered. Yeah. Um so we met at Brewfest mm-hmm. uh Team Roadkill uh is a you know a, a- bike ms team yeah and i know that you got um very into the bike ms recently after you were uh diagnosed how, how did that work for yeah
1: you? i actually was not the one that got into bike ms i've got to give that credit to my sister because i knew nothing about it um i was so overwhelmed with what was going on and kind of coming to terms with what was going on with yeah. my health and my situation that i wasn't paying attention to anything outside of myself but my sister, who is my big sister and has always been kind of protective of me, um, tried to shield me from the, the terrors of the world, if you will, um, felt very powerless in this situation, as I think a lot of people do when they have a family member who's suffering from this disease, where it's like they want to help, but there's nothing that they can do mm-hmm. to help. And so she found this spike in mass, and she said, I'm going to do this. And at this point, it was two weeks away. She's like, I've got to raise... $250 for fundraising in the next 2 weeks. Like I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And we ended up raising I think $4,000
0: in 2 weeks. In 2 weeks? Holy cow. Yeah,
1: we've got an incredible I've got an incredible support system um and we really tapped into that and just kind of shared my story, shared what I was going through and people were were really generous and we we're really lucky to have that support. But but Shannon was definitely the one that that was the impetus for getting involved with, bike MS. She was the...
0: And then what did that do for you? Um,
1: it At first, I was kind of put off by it, honestly. I was like, I don't want to be defined by this. I don't mm-hmm. want everything I do to be about MS.
0: Well, and you were newly diagnosed. Yeah. So, I mean, like, brand new.
1: Yeah, like... uh Maybe a month and a half at this point, and I was still in the hospital. Right. I, I still hadn't gone back to a regular life, like trying to find my new normal. At this point, my new normal was the hospital. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was, I was very kind of overwhelmed by the idea that now, like, oh, I'm, now I'm involved with this thing that's all about this disease because at the moment, I didn't want anything to do with this disease. I did not want anything to do with MS. I wanted it as far away from me as possible. Um, and the day of the bike ride, the day, the day of the bike ride was the day after I got released from the hospital. Mm-hmm. So they, I, my parents took me back to their house because I was living with them while I was recovering because they have a one-story house and I could actually access things. Um, and I went to the bike MS kickoff with my sister the day after I was released from the hospital, and it was so cool because, and I was I was terrified when I went because I was like, ah, oh, all these people are gonna see me in this wheelchair, like they're mm-hmm. gonna think that I'm this terribly disabled person and that I'm you know not a good representation of how great you can do with this disease, and and I got there and everybody was so supportive. Uh, I talked to Ron and he was just like, Hey, welcome. Like we've been reading your blog. You're fantastic. Like, thanks so much for, for telling your story and adding your voice to this sea of voices that we're building. I got to talk to Jane, which was amazing because she was in a position very similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And the hope, the inspiration that I got from seeing how you can come back and how how great you can live a life even with this disease changed my entire perspective on bike MS. It went from Oh my gosh! I don't want anything to do with this. To, I want to be surrounded by these people. Like these are the most incredible, hopeful, inspirational people I've ever met.
0: Well, and, and that's so neat that you, you know, literally just got out of the hospital, and you're still trying to dealing. You know, you're dealing with what this means. I mean, you, what the heck is MS? Yeah. I mean, you, you're just learning about this, and then you got. Um, you just jumped right in and started meeting these people. Did that help you immediately kind of accept your MS more?
1: Actually getting to bike MS made me, I think, more hopeful than I had been before because I had kind of resigned myself to that at that point too. Okay, I'm going to live in a wheelchair. Like this is, this is my now, this is my normal, this is who I'm going to be. And I guess I'll just have to learn to be okay with that. And then getting to go to bike MS and hearing people's stories of, oh yeah, I used to be in a wheelchair. Can you do a wheelie? You know, like hearing, hearing their sense of humor about it, hearing their kind of zest for life in spite of this disease made me realize that this wasn't what I had to be resigned to, it, that I could fight this, that I could, I could get back, if not everything that I'd lost, at least most of it. And, and I would have more emotionally than I ever did before.
0: Well, and you know, what a breath of fresh air after being in the hospital for a while. And that's what, you know, having support or being around people that have MS or have had MS for a long time, you know, getting tips and tricks from other people, because how are you supposed to know what right. MS is going to be after being in the hospital for a month and a half? And, and um, I've only, you know, I met you once before and I could tell, you know, you were you're, you're sarcastic, which I love. (laughs) Um, you know, we laughed and, and, uh, you know, easily, you know, easy to talk to. Um, and that's easy to lose too when you're sucked up like that. So it seems like you were able to get out and kind of get that back pretty quickly, which is huge.
1: My family helps a lot. My sister, who I've spoken about a little bit already, has been the best resource, the best friend, everything that I could have asked her to be. She Mm -hmm. has been that and more throughout this entire process. She's stopped me from taking myself too seriously. I have a tendency to be melodramatic. Uh, I tend towards the dramatic. um, And she has really kind of helped draw me out of that. At times, when when I was dealing with the hospital, talk, telling me about possible cognitive deficits, and mm-hmm. that that shook me. You know, that's that's my mind. Like, this has already taken so much of my body. Like, fuck me if it's going to take my mind too. Yeah, exactly. And they're talking about, yeah, you know, your your memory isn't great. Your your ability to remember where you've put things isn't great. And my sister comes into the room as I'm sobbing, and she's like, "What's wrong, Nora?" It's like, ah, oh, they think that I that I may have some cognitive cognitive deficits. And she comes over and gives me a big hug and is wiping my tears away, tucking my hair behind me. And she's like, honey, you've always had cognitive deficits. <laughs> and I just started like cracking up, you know, snot bubbles blowing through my tears. She's like, "You, we got to a leash for your phone because you kept losing it. I mean, you have never had a good memory. That's who you are. Like That's not new. And just having those people that bring you back to who you are is indispensable I
0: absolutely mean. and and what's nice is it and sometimes i i've had you know 15 years i've had ms mm-hmm. so um sometimes i get mad and and i throw some in the ms bucket right and I look back and i'm i remind myself okay wait before you had ms you did this all the time right. so it's not ms so it's good to have you know your sister to remind you that oh, yeah only only that but bring it lightheartedly mm-hmm. because it's important, very important to laugh and oh, laughter yeah. is, is key. Um, but I want to take a step back sure. and just kind of um, talk about your story, how you were diagnosed and then what you went through.
1: Um, I was diagnosed very quickly. I I had some minor stuff going on one day, some like sensory deprivation in my left side, went to the urgent care. They said, we're going to do an MRI. I did an MRI. They said, uh, we're not sure. Come back if things get worse. Two days later, I was admitted to the hospital without any use of my left side. Mm. So it happened really quickly. Um, I was diagnosed with acute tumefactive multiple sclerosis, which is MS in which the lesion is larger than four centimeters in diameter. Mm. I actually had to a brain biopsy because it was growing so quickly that they thought it was a tumor. Um, so my dad being the charmer that he is, they came in and said, we think we're going to do some, we're going to have to do brain surgery. He goes, good luck finding it.
0: <laughs> Thanks dad. <laughs>
1: right. And I mean, just having that, that my family has a great sense of humor. It's, it's it, how I was raised and that makes such a big difference. It
0: does. It, it uh, it, I think that's part of being healthy mm-hmm. is, is when you have that around you, and you you take the the seriousness out of it then it helps you right. be better so yeah and so, don't get
1: me wrong it was terrifying and we were all absolutely. super scared yeah. i am the lucky one in this situation and that i don't have a lot of memory of those first two weeks um i'm i've thrown up mental walls blocked mm-hmm. it out i don't go into it too in depth because i do have a little bit of ptsd just based on how sudden and how you know how shaking life-shaking it was for me. Yeah. Um so so I don't talk about it a lot, but I'm okay to touch on broad strokes. Um so I was diagnosed on June of June 15th, 2013. Uh I believe it was Father's Day. <laughs> my dad was like, "Oh, I got to spend it with my daughter." Yeah. Not in the way that he would have hoped, I'm sure. Yeah. But it was it was the middle of the summer and it had been a lot of stress for me prior to that. Um, my roommate had just told me that he was going to break our lease and move out, which didn't end up happening, but I thought it was going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I had just had a, a friend of mine who had been killed in a drunk driving accident, like mm. probably two or three weeks before. So I had just attended his funeral and it was a, a very emotional, stressful time for me. And at, through all this, I'm in grad school trying to get all my papers and things done and I I know that they say that stress can trigger uh, an exacerbation. I don't know if it did or not, um, but it definitely was a stressful time for me.
0: And, and I know that the exacerbation set in and then you were in the hospital for mm-hmm. what, six weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was there until July 31st. So June 15th to July 31st.
0: So you're sitting in bed having to kind of grasp all this. Mm-hmm. What, what did you know about MS? MS. Before you're in the hospital, that's
1: a great question. Um, before I went in the hospital, I knew very little about MS. I knew that one of my volleyball coaches in high school had had MS, mm-hmm. um, and she seemed to be okay. She was my volleyball coach. Uh, right. She always made sure that she was had a ride for long road trips. Her name was also Nora, so we, when I got it, she jo- we joked a little bit about this being a cursed name. Sure. Um, my high school government teacher also had MS, and she's great. Her name's Mickey, and she drove up from seven hours up from Roseburg to see me in Portland when I first Your was high diagnosed. School. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that I, support. That that. Yeah. That is nice. Yeah. For sure. She's great. I I've been so lucky throughout this whole process to just have the best support. But I didn't know very much. Um, Dennis actually and I have spoken about this, and he's like, when they first said you might have MS, you you broke down in tears, and I was going. What is that? Yeah. You know, so I didn't know very much. I just knew that it and was so, so something De- scary. And so Dennis is your boyfriend? Mm-hmm. Yes. Dennis is my boyfriend. Yes. Yeah. And he was, was amazing throughout this whole process. Which
0: I love this story <laughs> because, or this part of the story, uh, because you and Dennis were, had been dating for eight months. Yeah. Right? At the when, time when that I was diagnosed. Happened?
1: And I don't think I've ever told you the sweetest part of the story, which was that that first time. So I'm in the emergency room. I've gone back because my symptoms have gotten worse and or no no sorry i'm in the emergency room for the first time um because i was there after going to urgent care they said go over to to the er because we think there may be some neurological stuff going on mm-hmm. and i texted dennis and was like remember that funny thing that was going on earlier that i went to urgent care for they sent me to the er and he's like i will be right there and he was at work in be written at the time so he told his boss Nora's in the hospital um they shut down the library <laughs> she drove him into the hospital and he came. They shut
0: down the whole library. They shut down
1: the whole library. Wow! And she drove him into the hospital. Um, and and I think they shut down the whole library. In my mind, they did. They he may have just been done with work. Yeah,
0: and and you know what? That's fine. It, you can keep that part of the story. Right? I, I think it, it, that that's a good it, part of the story. Like you, I said, you should I be I tend able to keep. towards
1: the melodramatic. Yes,
0: I like that part of the story. <laughs> it's it's good.
1: But regardless, he showed up and you know was there for me. He was holding my hand and they said we were going to have her go in for an MRI and then we're also going to do a spinal tap, and. I didn't know really what an MRI was, but I knew what a spinal tap was, mm-hmm. and I was fucking terrified. Not
0: something to look forward to. Right,
1: and, and I am at this point sobbing, because they've just told me that I may have this chronic neurological disease, um, and he's like, does she have to do this by herself? And, and they said, well, you know, the MRI is a, it's a radioactive room, and we have to wear these vests, and he's like, get me a vest and he sat in there with me while in in the vest behind the wall while i got my mri done wow. and then as i was getting the spinal tap done he's like can i can i go sit with her and so he sat there at the head of the table as i'm you know on my chest and they're taking fluid from my spine watched the whole thing and every time that i started to get lost in my own head or uh-huh. in the pain he would bring me back you know he'd be like right here come on look in my look at my eyes look at me so the great thing is that the memory that I have from my spinal tap is just looking right into his eyes and, and hearing him say it's gonna be okay. What and, a great connection. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Not um, a connection
0: you want. I no, mean not, not but, but, but but it means a yeah. lot.
1: He's incredible and he's gone I I would not have known were unless but for this experience, I would not have known how strong he was. huh. And that's been a really big gift that that goddamn MS has given me is yeah. is that I know that he's amazing in ways that I would never have known before.
0: And you know, you don't there is a silver lining to MS. It's it's you don't ever want to have MS Mm-mm. to find that silver lining. But I remember talking to Dennis and And when we met the first time and, and I introduced myself and I just, I, because you had told me this story and I just said, Dennis, I like you a lot because you stuck around. And I've heard some other guys, other, other spouses that, you know, through marriage have actually gotten divorced over MS, you know, and yet he was right there. And as soon as I said that, he just looked straight in the eye and he said, well, she's well worth it. (laughs) And so it's Aww. just that connection was just right there. And it, that to me was so cool. And, yeah. and you know, I can see in your face right now, um, everybody else can't see it, but <laughs> I can see that that means a lot to you. And it's oh, just, absolutely. yeah. And, and that support is invaluable. It just, um, it helps you make it through a tough time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I say, when I talk about it, I say, you know, it's so great that he stuck around, but I've got to give him credit, not, not just for sticking around, but for being willing to be emotionally present with me through mm-hmm. some of the most difficult emotional trials of my life mm-hmm. thus far. I hope that they don't get worse. Yeah. Um, but for being willing to sit down and talk to me about what he was feeling and about what I was feeling and really being very communicative about what was going on in both of our heads. And I think that's what made us actually stay together was being open and like, I'm fucking scared. Like me too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and being able to share that instead of me trying to put on a happy face and like, Oh, it's fine. Everything's great. Yeah. And him being like, Oh yeah, I don't even notice that you can't move your left side. You know, we were very honest with each other with our emotions. And I think even more than his continued presence, his, his willingness to be emotionally available through this process meant the world to me.
0: Yeah, and, and you know that kind of gets to the title of this podcast of how are you really doing? Because <laughs> it's very easy just to skim over. That. Absolutely. You know, I, I know that I personally tried to sweep my MS under the rug for a long time and act like I was normal when. You and Dennis were in a in a, you know, a hospital room. Right. You can't really sweep it under the rug when you're dealing with that.
1: I remember so clearly when when I first started to get kind of my cognition of what was going on uh-huh. back and started to process it, um, really process it. I sent him a message that said, "I think we should talk and like talk about where our relationship is going because we have been together for eight months." this is not the relationship you signed up for. You know, right. I don't know if I'm going to walk again. Like, I don't know what the future holds. And I don't want to ever feel like I'm holding you back from something because I don't I don't want someone to start resenting me for for them not being able to do the things that they wanted to do.
0: Well, and what a big conversation to think about having eight months in. Oh, I mean, yeah. Right. That's, a, that's a tough one. Yeah.
1: And I remember this so clearly. It's one of the, like, first real clear memories that I have from the hospital of him coming in and sitting down next to my bed and saying just so perfectly, what do you want? Because I haven't even asked you what you wanted. Do you want to be with me? And I was like, of course I want to be with you. (laughs) Like, do I want to be with you? Of course. Like, do you want to be with me? And he's like, well, here's the thing, Nora. The things that I like to do are... I like to I like to play video games. I like to watch TV with my friends. I like to read books. He's like, sometimes I like to go on long hikes or long bike rides, but let's be honest, you were never gonna do that stuff with me anyway. <laughs> I was like, that's that's fair. He's like, I guess I just don't see what you think you're holding me back from. And that was the most beautiful thing that I could have heard at that time, that that I was still me, you know, that that I was still the person that he had signed up to be with. And I think that, that went a long ways towards getting me, getting me to recognize that this was not the end of who I was.
0: And that's, that is beautiful <laughs> because it's, it's so, I mean, you could be stuck in the hospital, not knowing who you are mm-hmm. and then questioning that yourself and then not getting any assurance from the other side. Right. And, you know, I, I don't want to be a, a, yeah, I don't have a crystal ball or anything, but. Let's just say somewhere down the line you guys were to get married
1: well, I'm, I'm not the marriage type but okay. but but sure I mean just sure, hypothetically we'll
0: okay hypothetically, hi- okay, hypothetically yeah. you guys have already gone through the for better or for worse <laughs> type of thing you know because that that's something that you sign up for when you get married <laughs> sure and uh, it, that's such a hard thing to go through and but you guys went through it early on so. Oh, yeah.
1: And regardless of what happens between us in the long run, Dennis will always be a part of my life. Like he has been through so much with me, that, that he is like I sp- said to you earlier. He's my best friend. You know, right. he's he's someone that that would it would shatter me to lose him completely. And you know, we're we're both in our twenties right now. Who knows where things are gonna go? And I don't want to put too much pressure on anything. Um, but I do know that he's a very important person and someone that that means the world to me. And and that will I will never be able to thank him enough.
0: I, I, I'm not putting any pressure oh, on, sure, no. on Dennis either. So if he ever hears this, you know, when, when he listens to this, Dennis, don't worry about it. I'm not putting any pressure on you for anything.
1: But I am kind of a babe.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, but she is kind of a babe. So yeah, and, and that's important to remember too, you know, when right. you have MS, what I like to say, and, and whether it's true or not, who knows, I always like to say I'm the best looking guy in Vancouver with MS. You know, it, it, <laughs> and a lot of times nobody can dispute that or I'll say I'm the best looking guy in this room with MS and, and you know, nobody else has MS in the room. So it's not a lie. That you but know of. Yes, that I know of. But
1: <laughs> but you're also a super good looking guy. So you're probably not going to you're not going to run into much competition. There. Well,
0: <laughs> and if, if if there is, then at least I'm going for it. There you know, you, go. it, yeah, you got you got to think good, right? Absolutely. You, got to, you got to think good things.
1: I think one of the things that has been the most interesting for me through this process is I think that my self-esteem is higher now than it was prior to my diagnosis. And I think part of that is because I have focused so much on being kind to myself. Um, when, when I was diagnosed, or before I was diagnosed, I was really, really hard on myself all the time. I was never good mm. enough. I was never pretty enough. I was never thin enough. I was never, never anything enough. Um, and I beat myself up a lot for that. And I, I struggled with depression and I still do, um, to a point, but less so surprisingly than I did prior to my diagnosis. And I think that's because as this has all been happening, I've really focused on not beating myself up because obviously MS is not something that I am blaming myself for because it's not something I control, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but I've been so kind to myself and so, so accepting and working on really loving myself that my self-esteem is higher now than it than it ever was before, which is kind of a cool side effect.
0: I think that's awesome because that has taken me a long time <laughs> to get to that point because I've always been very hard on myself and that that's hard on your health mm-hmm. when you're hard on yourself. And so um, do you see that that helps you stay healthier?
1: Absolutely, 100%. Um, my lifestyle has changed completely. I've done a complete 180 since since I was diagnosed. Uh, prior to my diagnosis, my diet was pretty much predominantly Taco Bell, McDonald's, Burger uh-huh. King. Like, I was a fast food addict, if, if that's a thing. Um, oh, it's I smoked, a thing. It's a
0: thing for sure.
1: <laughs> I smoked a pack a day, uh-huh. um, drank probably a fifth a week. I mean, I was I was actively self-destructive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, trying to prove my immortality, you know, trying to show that I, I was untouchable
0: and you know at, at that age do you think you're trying to prove your immortality or i was i was immortal you know right I, but i was 28 Absolutely. i was i was uh as as ron hay likes to say 10 feet tall and bulletproof and ron hay is the uh the leader of um team roadkill team road uh <laughs> the the bike ms but 10 feet tall and bulletproof and so I I just thought I was absolutely. And I I just thought there. I was young. I had so many things mm-hmm. to look forward to. So when this hit you, what was your mentality before mm-hmm. of what you could do? And then you know, six weeks later, after you get out of the hospital, that massive switch. How 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 did you go about that? How did that work?
1: It's humbling. It's sure humbling um, to go from. I can do anything to, I need help showering and going to the bathroom was, was a super humbling experience for me. Um, it definitely made me more aware. I think it made me a more empathetic person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made me more aware of the struggles that, that people go through on a regular basis um, because I'd never really had any hardship in my life. I mean, I'd, I'd had sad things that had happened to people around me. Like I, I had a friend that was killed in a drunk driving accident. Other than the one that happened right before my diagnosis, and that was really hard. But um, having having something bad happen to me was a completely different experience. Uh, Joan Didion is an author that I really like. Going back to the literature again, mm-hmm. and she has a mess. And she wrote in a book about her diagnosis, and I really loved this. She said. Being diagnosed with this disease was the equivalent of opening the door to find that the stranger really did have a knife. It, it let me know that bad things, I was the kind of person that bad things could happen to. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes from being, oh, yeah, that's something that other people get to, no, this is something that I have to deal with. And I think that that, that was a really shocking revelation for me that I wasn't invincible, you know, that I wasn't, as you say, bulletproof. That was really hard, and it took a long time. Uh, I had a lot of pride going in. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think I have that as much anymore. I mean, I still take pride in things, but I don't have that That force field around me of nothing can touch me. I recognize that, that I am someone to which bad things can happen. And I try to live consciously of that, you know, to take, take stock of every day and, and feel thankful for the things that we can do. Or that you can do as opposed to being like, wow, I can't, you know, I can't use my left hand as well as I used to be able to. But, but wow, my right side's great. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? And then you take, you're very thankful for your right side. Mm-hmm. or the... I'm
1: thankful for everything. Yeah. I am
0: too. You right? know, for and, and I, I, I write do. that down or, you know, gratitude is a big part of my day now mm-hmm. um, because I will be you know, I'll be happy that I made it to the mailbox. Right. Whereas before, that's not even anything you even think about. No. You know, I haven't been driving for almost a year. And I just started driving again. Thank you very much. And um, cheers, cheers to that. Cheers to that. And um, that is something I'm thankful for every time I get behind the wheel now is that I can actually go down to 7-Eleven or I can actually do something. Yeah. And the smallest little things, um, going out with my kids and doing something that I took for granted before, is something that I I feel blessed to do now, yeah. and what I think is amazing um, with how it happened to you is that you have gotten this so quickly. <laughs> um, I mean, compared, it, it's taken me ten crash years. Crash course. Yeah, you you really got a crash course, um, but you seem to have jumped jumped in very quickly. But um, I also wanted to get back to. Um, Oops, had a bit of a technical issue here and lost some of the audio, so I want to let you know that I was starting to ask Nora about her blog and what she did while she was in the hospital bed, and essentially, like a lot of us, uh, when you get diagnosed, you're thinking and, and mad at the world, and and she had said she, this was not fair at all that she had gotten MS, and so she started reaching out and venting and talking online And uh, that's kind of how her blog started. And here is the rest of her answer.
1: So I started venting online. And I actually collected, I think, like 80 followers that I talk to on a pretty regular basis and that I have and there's a girl that lives in Canada who is confined to a wheelchair, mm-hmm. and there's a girl in New York who is doing pretty well and has all of her mobility, and just this really wide variety of people who have dealt with the same things, and I think that's really important to to have that community, whether it's in the form of a support group, um, whether it's in the form of your Bike MS team, mm-hmm. whether it's in the form of the people online, but to have someone to talk to that knows that has been there that knows what you're going through.
0: Yeah. You know, um, through it, it's, it's right now it's, uh, you know, bike MS and, and the MS walk time. And so I've been on Facebook reaching out to people and I've actually connected with some, some people from high school that have, uh, some big struggles going on in their life. And, You can tell they don't have the support, Mm -hmm. necessarily. And just getting out there and and being able to say to somebody else, Hey, I deal with this, is is huge. And it's such a relief um, to be able to do that. So what what did you talk about with these... I I guess you can call... They're strangers when you first start talking, but... What did you talk about with the the people that were well, reading your blog?
1: What I what I started talking about on my blog was just my frustration. You know, how how mad I was, how pissed off I was that this was even happening. And it kind of transformed into here's here's my recovery, you know, and it I my mom is a compulsive photographer. She takes mm. pictures of everything and she did a great job of documenting here i am a week in here i am a month in and taking videos of showing like wow look here here i am taking my first steps holding on to the railing with a pt right by my side right mm. um, physical therapist yes yes very <laughs> for, good though, pt for our physical therapist at yeah home, <laughs> um with a pt right by my side and then progressing through and that became a really big source of Motivation for me was mm-hmm. to be able to look back and say, "Wow, okay, so I can't walk great right now, but look at how much better I'm doing than I was two weeks ago." And people started to notice, and they started to ask me, like, "Wow, thank you so much for posting this. What are you doing to, to help yourself get better?" Or they would say things like, "You know, my mom just got diagnosed with this disease. Thank you for giving me hope that that you do get better." You know, and and really just kind of building that community. Um, we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about frustrations. Mm-hmm. We talk about feelings of hopelessness, feelings of fear of the future. Um, but also, we talk about things that that normal twenty somethings talk about. You know, we talk about our favorite websites to see cute cats. Yeah, <laughs> we talk about.
0: And, and those are important. I mean, that, yeah. that's just as important as everything else. You get the the normalcy of yeah. you know uh, in, uh keeping your hobbies going and and you know keeping all those things that's very important um what what are your frustrations right now and first of all i guess this it's been what nine months since you were in the hospital something like that close Mm -hmm. and what are your symptoms now
1: uh, my symptoms now are pretty minimal. Uh, I still have some some loss awesome of sensation on my left side. I don't mm. have great sensation on my left side and I do still have some muscle weakness on my left side and balance is probably the hardest for me um, standing on my left foot by itself is really hard um, but but generally i'm I'm doing pretty well you know I think that, were I to have to gauge it, I'd say I, I was at about 85% of where I was prior mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. my first exacerbation. And, and
0: how's your cognition? Because I know that was a big work. It
1: was so scary. Yeah. But it's great. Um, I'm getting all A's in school. I've, Yeah, I've, that to me was the biggest thing. I remember going, yeah, absolutely. Hallelujah. Yeah. I went into my first class session just terrified, thinking, oh, no, I'm not going to understand any of this. And unfortunately, that class session started with a discussion of databases, which I do not understand that well to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I was able to interact, I was able to have you know, meaningful comments and insights, and that gave me so much confidence back. Just being able to hold my own in this graduate school setting meant the world to me. Yeah. Um, I, I pride myself on my intellect. It's something that, that defines who I am to myself. Um, and for me, the fear of losing that was worse than the fear of losing my, my limbs or my mobility. Um, I don't know who I would be without my ability to think, to form coherent thoughts, to, to make meaningful insights. Um, and so knowing that I had that back was, was a huge step forward for me. And, and I think for everyone that knows me, uh, it was a really big reassurance because it was like, oh, there, there she is, making terrible jokes and you know being her, Nora's back, right? Her we, sarcastic we got our Nora. and insightful self.
0: Yeah. What would you say to somebody who gets diagnosed, or is is newly diagnosed? What from what you've learned?
1: Oh, uh, I would say first, I'm really sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. That yeah. sucks. Um, I'd give them a hug, and tell them that it's not as bad as you think. Um, that. That first moment of, of knowing is terrifying, but it does get easier and it gets better, I think. At least for me it has. Uh-huh. And I can only speak to my own experience, but I think that to someone that was newly diagnosed, I would say, give yourself time, be patient with yourself. That was the hardest thing for me. Um, but work really hard, you know? Don't, don't be so patient and so lazy. Don't be so patient with yourself that you become lazy Sure. Um, and say, well, I'm just going to give myself time and hope everything comes back. You know, work at it all the time Um, because I think even if you're not making that much progress, the feeling of trying gives you something, you know. There were days where I would be in tears, and my dad would be like, "Okay, let's do your exercises that we can do in bed because that'll give you something to focus on, and that'll make you feel like you're doing something, and that makes such a big difference."
0: It d- distraction. Mm-hmm. I, I think distraction is huge. It, when I get stuck in my own mind, then it's a downward spiral. Absolutely. You know, and whether it's books or websites about cute cats or <laughs> um, you know talking to somebody from Canada. Or whatever the distraction is, exercise, um, because your mind is a amazing thing that can get you better. Mm-hmm. I think it can also get you down, too. Yeah,
1: and it's a closed loop.
0: It you is, know, yeah. It's
1: something that is going to cycle back on itself unless you break that cycle, unless you say, like, no, I'm not going to let me, I'm not going to let myself go over and over about the things that could go wrong. Instead, I'm going to go mow the lawn, you right. know, yeah. or...
0: Yeah. Or go read a book right, or exactly. or go talk to somebody mm-hmm. and get social. And, and that social for me is, I can tell you're, you're social <laughs> a little bit. Um, but social for me is what gets me out of my own head. And then there'll be days where I, I, I think, you know, I can't even get out. I, I don't want to leave. I, you know, depressed. And, and then I get out and I'm a whole new person. Absolutely. And, and my wife always says it. she's like, Dude, you just need to get out and do something because you're bugging the heck out of me. Yeah. So go do something. During, during your time um, in the hospital, one thing that I think is always tough is, is the news that you're getting from the doctors and then how you process that and being your own advocate during that, that time too. How did that work for you?
1: Uh, that is a really tricky thing to do um, because these doctors obviously have a lot more knowledge than you do, but it's also important to question and to you know make sure that you feel comfortable with things. For me, I think that I was kind of an annoying patient a lot of the times because of my library science background, I tend towards research. And I worked for a chiropractic college prior to going into the hospital, so I had access to all these medical databases. So I was printing out 10-page articles and handing them to my doctors and saying, what do you think about this treatment? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is from a peer-reviewed scientific neurological journal, so you should have probably read it already. Yeah, Yeah,
0: you should know this. I shouldn't be teaching you anything. Right,
1: so I was a very... It was difficult at first to be my own advocate, but it got to the point where I think they were like... (laughs) Get rid of her. Get her out of here.
0: (laughs) But did that, did that help you, um, get better in your way? Yes. Uh, Because you need to, you need to keep focused on what's going to help you and what's going to help you in your own way.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It helped me, um. For me, knowledge has always been a source of power Mm -hmm. and not knowing when I went into the hospital was the hardest part. You know, not knowing what was going on, not understanding the the mechanisms of this disease, what it was doing to my body. Mm -hmm. It drove me crazy not having that information and so, for me, research became how I filled my days in the hospital. Where it was like, okay, I've got PT in the morning and then I've got a two-hour break where I can spend researching and reading neuroscience journals. And then I've got OT at three. And and so I broke up my day that way saying, here's my research time. What can I find? What can I learn about how this is how this is affecting my body and what I can do to help? And that's how I found the, the diet I'm currently on. Uh-huh. The kind of scientific evidence of diet helping or hurting, you know, how how I shaped what my recovery would become came from that research.
0: Okay, so that that actually was my next question is what did you learn then that you are doing now?
1: Um, I am following, loosely following Terry Walls' um, diet. That's minding
0: deep, your mitochondria.
1: Minding your mitochondria, which was a book that was brought to me by my old boss, like my second week in the hospital.
0: It's right down there on the ground. It's
1: yes, great book. Yes, she great just book. Had a new one that came out too. Over, yes, yeah.
0: yeah, I yeah. Just, so I, 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 yes. So that's a great book. So um, yeah. So I, I do.
1: I try to get my nine cups of vegetables a day. It's hard. I eat a lot of kale. I make a lot of smoothies. Um, and and I work on... I'm gluten-free, uh, mm-hmm. thus the cider ah. rather than the beer. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I followed it all the way, I wouldn't be having cider anyway. But it's a quality of life issue for me. Yeah. So I say...
0: I don't say you, you can't... To me, I know that I'm not going to follow a diet 100%. Mm-hmm. So I follow an 80-20 rule and I try to follow it 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if I can get nine cups of vegetables. I, I, I like the, the whole Walls diet, I think is amazing. And I know, I know deep down in my heart that diet is critical. Absolutely. so I'm trying to eat, you know, whole foods and eat as well as I can. Mm-hmm. But um, there you, to live, I think you got to give yourself a little bit of slack.
1: Sure. And I think it comes back to being, being good to yourself and being kind yeah. to yourself. And, you know, if, if you know that you're not going to be able to follow a diet 100%, and but you're going to be able to follow 80-20, then do 80-20 instead of doing 100% for three days and then not doing it at all.
0: Yeah, you know? I, yeah. I mean, if it scares you or um, it's going to knock you back, then doing it a little bit is better than not doing it at all.
1: Absolutely. And I think even mentally doing it a little bit is better than not doing it at all because yeah. I think that... As we've spoken about earlier, the mind is such a powerful organ, and it is such a powerful mechanism. And I think that belief is a really powerful thing. Um, Saying that I am doing things to make myself healthier, and really believing that, I think, makes myself healthier. Mm. Whereas doing those same things and not thinking, wow, this is healing me, I don't think it would do as much good. I think that really believing in what you're doing to heal yourself is a part of that healing process, if that makes
0: sense. It totally makes sense. And um, where uh, I think spirituality is a very important aspect of this, and that can mean a thousand different things for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean to you?
1: Um, I'm really not a super spiritual person. I, I'm i a militant atheist. Uh, I've never really found belief in a God to appeal to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm. I also consider myself a humanist, and I believe in the power of the human mind. I believe in in the morality of humankind, mm. um, and I think that my spirituality takes its form in mindfulness and in just practicing, you know, meditation and visualization and things like that, and using the powers that are in me that my mind has to better myself, um, as opposed to turning to a higher power but i also support anything that makes people happy. You know, if what works for me will not work for someone else, what works for someone else is going to be abhorrent to me. So, i just want like i want to be very clear on that that even though i am an atheist, i am completely supportive of all faiths and all all practices of spirituality as long as people practice them honestly and with integrity.
0: Well, and you know, that actually leads into kind of what I'm getting at and and my train of thought Um, and like I said spirituality can you know there's a whole spectrum of of how it can take place Mm -hmm. Um, I am NOT a religious person I mean I don't I don't go to church and um, I don't believe in just one God I believe in a higher power but I also believe in the power of self like you're talking about Um, I think meditation is huge And I've been doing energy work, which the whole body is filled with energy. Everything around us is energy. And so um, venturing into that, and um, I've seen a spiritual healer, Mm -hmm. and um, that energy work is very intriguing to me. And what that has taught me is that no matter what your belief is, um, as long as you are doing it, you know, and and filling your mind with it, mm-hmm. like you're saying, um, then you're getting something out of it. Yeah. And, and there's a healing process in that belief. Absolutely. No matter what that belief is. So, in asking you that question, um, I think it's important for anybody to know that the the belief in spirituality is what. Is where the healing lies. Sure,
1: sure. And and spirituality and religiousness are two completely different concepts. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, my philosophy since the beginning of my diagnosis has always been, is it going to hurt me? No? Then I'll give it a shot. Yeah. You know, if it's, I had people come in when I was in the hospital they're like, can we do some Reiki, Reiki massage? I don't yeah. know how you pronounce it. Yeah. Where it's without putting hands on you. Yeah. It's like, sure, go for it, you know? It, the worst case scenario is nothing happens. And I think that that's been one of the unintentional side effects of this diagnosis is that it really has opened me up to trying new things like that uh-huh. where, where I may not have, where I may have been more skeptical before. Um, I am, I'm much more open-minded towards that type of thing.
0: You know, and, um, I actually have, uh, a good friend that comes over to my house and she practices Reiki and, I lay on the couch. That's how you say it. Yeah. And uh, she, yeah, that's how I say it. I don't (laughs) know if that's the right way. I think it is. Um, But, you know, I lay on the couch and and, um, we go through this visualization process. And when I get up from that, I feel better every time. Mm -hmm. And what I visualize, I've actually gone on journeys um, and I've gone to my sacred place. And she always says, you know, imagine lava going up and down your spine and i visualize that and i can actually see the plaques you know the the lesions on my spine kind of disappearing and and getting off that so uh, visualization i think is a huge part of that that's something that i never did until a couple years ago and Mm -hmm. and i'm very open to all kinds of different things and i do believe that it's it's helping me i know that it's helping Mm -hmm. me as a matter of fact and so being open to that has um open my myself to all kinds of different healing processes. So there's a lot out there, a lot of different ways to get healed, um, to find healing. And um, one, I think, you know, beyond this is kind of a big shift here, but um, laughter and, and um, sarcasm. And <laughs> and so where are you finding laughter right now? What?
1: Um, oh gosh, right now I find it everywhere. Um, when I am, Healthier, (laughs) Er. Er. Um, (laughs) healthy-ish. Right. When I'm healthier, I find laughter everywhere. What I struggle with is during the exacerbation, Mm. trying to find humor in those moments, and that was one of the things that. That I really enjoyed at the hospital was trying to make these very stone-faced doctors and nurses laugh, and I think I'm hilarious. Like I think I'm the funniest person ever. A lot of people don't agree with me. You know
0: what? If, if you ask my <laughs> my family, they would say the same thing. Oh, Dad, you know, Dad. I, I think I, I I I what I say is really witty and funny. They just don't think so. Right. So you know, but sometimes if you crack yourself up or you crack up a stone-faced doctor, then then you're doing something, right?
1: Right. I was really proud of myself at the hospital. Or making jokes like, oh you're here to take my vitals? If you keep taking them I won't have any left. And they wouldn't laugh. And I'd be like, come on guys, I'd be a great stand-up comic if I could only stand up. And just nothing. And apparently nice. you're not supposed to laugh at sick people, but those I was are trying so hard.
0: I know. Well, if you can't laugh and it's nice to laugh at yourself, those are two good jokes. I Thank like you. those.
1: Thank you. I guess we
0: could hang out because I, I appreciate that. That, right. that was I good.
1: I stupid, terrible jokes. I could be a stand-up
0: puns. comic if I could only stand up. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so,
1: I mean, I think that that just trying to make people laugh always makes me laugh. Um, even when I can't do it for myself, if I can try to do it for other people, then I get a kick out of it anyway because I because I do think I'm so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I mean, you gotta find the humor in it. There's so much that's so funny about this disease, and not when you're going through it, right. but looking back, like I learned to walk again at 26. <laughs> like that's pretty ridiculous. It is. And like hilarious in a way because I used to be so much better at it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I used to be able to walk straight. Now I can't walk straight. Right,
1: exactly. Or like, I never ever wanted to jog until I couldn't. And now I want it more than anything. I would love
0: to go jogging.
1: But here's the thing. If I could, I don't know if I actually would. Yeah. Because I actually hate jogging. Yeah. So, but I mean, there's a lot of like little stuff. Do you ever
0: wonder that there's, I've actually been doing better recently Mm -hmm. and I'm very, very thankful for that. And. I've actually gone through that thought process of when you're doing really bad and you're laying in bed it's like oh man if I had the chance to jog right now I would definitely go jog and then you feel better and that's not on your radar <laughs> right. so turns it
1: turns out I'm still the same lazy person I was Yeah
0: yeah yeah <laughs> turns out that I really don't want to I don't want to go to the gym you know <laughs> right. so even though I feel better I always tell people you know I say yeah I, I have MS you know and they say how you doing I say well I'm not going to run any marathons Anytime soon, and I think about it. It's like I wouldn't have ran a marathon if I was hundred percent healthy. So right. why am why am I comparing myself to running a marathon? Because yeah. I'm never going to go do it, even if I get healthy again. Well, I'm, I'm not, not
1: going to run any marathons anytime soon. To be fair, I wasn't also going to run any marathons before I was diagnosed. Exactly.
0: Boys. See, you're you're a you're a sit down comic. You're sitting down, and, and you're a comedian.
1: I think that's really important, and I really love that. But recognizing that, yes, this disease can make you kind of reconsider who I am, where my identity lies. But when it comes right down to it, you're the same person as you were before you were diagnosed. You know, like, you're still not gonna run any marathons. I still am obsessed with books. Like, yeah. these these parts of us have not changed.
0: What, what do you what do you say to somebody who it has changed or, or has lost that? Because I know that that is, um, I, I've had it for 15 years. And there are definitely, definitely parts of my life where I have lost who I am. And um, actually, this podcast has helped me get a lot of that back because Mm -hmm. I found a purpose again. A year ago, I was in a really bad spot. And so I'm laying in bed. I didn't want to do shit. I really didn't want to do anything. And I really lost myself. So what do you say to somebody who... um, or, or? how, how do you find yourself when you've lost yourself? I've been
1: thinking about this a lot recently. And I, as I always do, go back to literature. And in in novels, in books, there are characters that are static, who remain the same throughout the novel. And then there are characters that are dynamic, that change and are not the same person at the end of the story that they were at the beginning. And that's one thing that has really comforted me to to think about throughout this process is that I am a dynamic character. I am not a consistent like I I want to grow and evolve throughout my life. This may not be the way that I pictured doing it, but but it's it's what happened. I don't get to choose. So so I may as well get the growth from it that I can, mm-hmm. but recognizing that it's impossible to not be yourself, right? Like we are always who we are in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's possible to not be the person that you were before it's possible to not be the person that you will be in the future but at the moment you are always yourself and and to recognize that that is a shifting target that is not something that that you can pin down and say that's who i am because mm. the next moment you're somebody different and recognizing that that is a shifting a shifting state and not something that is static and unchanging but something that is dynamic and we should I think celebrate that, that, that we're not the same boring person, you know? If we stayed the same forever, that would just be so dull.
0: Yeah, it, it, it would. And um, I think what you just brought up is very interesting because some of the things that I'm going through, um, because I have lost a sense of self. And I have just gone with the flow and taken... um. And let my disease kind of dictate me for a while. And I've always been one to say, okay, you know, MS doesn't define me. Mm-hmm. But after having it for so long, there are times where it does define me.
1: There are times where it has to define you by default. Like it mm-hmm. has to be all about your disease when you're having it, an exacerbation. That's just the way it is.
0: Right. But, but I see what you're saying. And, and I think what has saved me a lot of times is being that dynamic character and knowing that you can get out of it and you want to get out of it. And you know, keeping your heart going and, and keeping your mind going and finding new ways to get out of it is, I think, what's important for all of us MSers to, to keep on going through this journey.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things that I struggle with and, and I work on all the time is instead of looking backwards and saying, how do I get back to that person that I used mm-hmm. to be? looking forwards and trying to say who am i going to be next you know who am i becoming who am i on my way to yeah and and looking forward rather than looking back and grieving for who i used to be it's like cool well you know that person is done who who am i going to become next you know next? you are
0: really smart for being <laughs> just diagnosed with this and that actually what you just said is something that has taken me a long time to learn because i look back and say you know i want to play softball again well Maybe I can't play softball like I used to, but maybe I could go out and do something. Sure. Um Or I can do these things. I'm just not going to be as fast at it, or as smooth at it, or as quick, you know. But um, just finding a new way to do that. Yeah. But I, you're really smart. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it, it's uh, th- that's impressive to to do that, um, or to think that way, uh, knowing that MS. I mean, you were just diagnosed and MS can kind of steal that from you. But uh, what scares you now? What what scares you?
1: Oh, gosh, the future. (laughs) I mean, uncertainty. Uh, The same things that I think scare everyone when they think about them, but it's just more palatable to people that have this disease because... It's something that we have to be aware of, the fact that things could be taken from us at any moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everyone, I think, lives with that general knowledge that they could be crossing a street and a car could come around the corner and not see them and, and they could lose a leg. But, but for us, it's like I could wake up one day and not have a leg work mm-hmm. without anything out of the blue happening. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's fucking terrifying. I mean, that's the scariest thing for me is that I don't know what the future holds. But every time I say that, I catch myself and I say, does anyone, Mm -hmm. you know, do, do my friends who were killed in car accidents, did they see their future as that? Of course not. You know, we all deal with something. And I think that's one of the things that, that I have fixated on as a, as like a therapeutic device is that everybody's got something.
0: And you know, it, it, Sometimes it helps me to think it can always be worse. Absolutely. Because you read the newspaper, you watch the news, and there's something that somebody else is going through that is worse than than what we're going through with MS. And sometimes, um, you ever heard the saying that if you stood in a circle with 50 people and you all threw your problems into the, the middle... Then you'd end up taking your own problems back right, because you don't you, want theirs. You don't want theirs. You don't right. want what other people are dealing with because it's all shit, you know. Right. But, but I'd rather have my shit than somebody else's shit sometimes. Absolutely, so, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that that recognizing that everybody has something going on that they're struggling with um, has been very helpful. And I don't know why that's helpful, really, because it's like, oh wow, everyone is super depressed a lot of the time. Yeah. Oh, that's so comforting, yeah. but. But for some reason that, that does it for me and that makes me recognize that I'm just like everyone else, even though, you know, I have this this thing that delineates me from other people, but it also joins me to the great, you know, greater humanity because because I am suffering, mm-hmm. because I know what loss is, because all of these things that everyone I think that that is alive knows. I mean, to a degree, obviously, people have dealt with loss to different sure. degrees. Um, people have dealt with suffering to different degrees. But I think that that those common human narratives, tapping into those and and seeing myself as part of this greater story, really helps me um, deal with those fears of the future and those fears of you know disability, of dependence. Um, those are those are what terrify me. But it's not. I don't see the point in really wasting a lot of energy, yeah. um, especially when I'm doing well. Uh, I can definitely see myself doing it more during an ex- exacerbation totally. yeah. where it's like, oh, this is so terrible. What if it gets worse? This is awful. But when I'm well, I want to focus all of my energy on using that stuff that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just about a month ago, uh, they thought that I was going through a, a, a new relapse the day after Brewfest. I oh, no. went in to see the neurologist. Mm. And they, they were like, we're going to run some emergency MRIs this weekend, make sure everything's okay. okay. So I was very obviously stressed out about this. Um, and I went in... And I was talking to Dennis, and I was like, I am just, I don't know what, like, what if I just start losing things again? And he's like, Well, then use them now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's go out and do something. Let's use what you got. Exactly. If, If I spend the last day that I have the use of my right hand lamenting that I might lose my right hand, what a waste. Sure. You know, when I could have been out throwing a ball around or, you know, plinking around on a piano and using it. So I try to really focus on the the things that i have and not the things that i might not have in the future i try to focus my energy on the positive as opposed to the negative which is really really hard sometimes and yeah. i'll be the first to admit that i have my low moments i mean i have had times where i have i have called suicide hotlines you know i have called my family in tears sobbing mm. saying i just don't want to do this anymore i don't think i'm tough enough right um but you hold out you know you endure And it gets easier. Um, And I think that each time that you hit that wall of being super down and you let yourself feel it and you come back, you recognize that you can come back from it. And that makes it, it makes it easier.
0: So what have you learned about yourself during this? I mean, because...
1: I'm super fucking tough.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say that because, you know, just listening to you and watching you talk is you can see that... You've learned something about yourself, and that um, you're super fucking tough is <laughs> is a good way to think about it. Yeah. Instead of instead of thinking I can't do this, it's really hard to, to make it through anything if you think you can't do it. Absolutely. So it, it's good to think that way. Yeah. What have you learned about your relationships with, say, your sister?
1: Oh gosh, I uh, I need her more than I need anyone else in the world. Um, she is literally my rock. like I can call her any time of day or night and she is there for me. And I like to think that she can do the same of me. like mm-hmm. she can call me anytime and I will be there in a heartbeat. Um, but I, we never had that relationship before. and I think that going through this process really helped us realize how much we meant to each other and forced us to consider what it would be like without each other mm-hmm. and that brings people so much closer together.
0: Well, and in and, and talking, when I talked to your sister, um, you had said that you called her, and I think she lives in Salem, right? So yeah, yeah, she like, lives right outside of yeah, Salem. Yeah, so she's, what, an hour and a half, two hours mm-hmm. away? And you had called her, you're having a bad day, and she said, I'll be right there. Yeah. She got in the car, and she took off, and she said, I, I said, you know, has this brought you guys closer? And she goes, you know, it's hard sometimes, but I wouldn't want it any other way because she wants to be there for you, yeah. and she wants to be your rock, and that has brought you guys closer. And I think sometimes being the person with MS, you don't want to ask for help, but the person helping gets a lot out of it, like your sister's getting out of it.
1: Right, right. I think what I one thing that I mentioned to you the, the night that we met at Brewfest was something that Jane's husband, Jane's another uh, Team Roadkill member, Uh, something that jane's husband said to me at one point when i was telling him that i was just very frustrated at at the level of dependence that i had on other people Mm -hmm. and that i had to ask for help for everything and he said to me don't ever deny others the chance to better themselves on your behalf and i thought that was a really beautiful thing to say because i think that there's something to that um to say that I think that my sister has grown into a stronger person by being there for me. I know that my my parents have have gotten closer together. I know that they've, you know, both grown through this process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was my intention all along.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I got MS just to bring my my parents yeah. and my and my, you know, build Super my relationship. Super self-sacrificing. Yeah. No, I, but I
1: really think that that there is something to that that this disease Either breeds resilience or it breeds just giving up. Mm-hmm. You you go one way or the other. You either say, I'm gonna fight this with everything I have, I'm gonna dig in, I'm not gonna let it take anything more than it than it has to, or you say, Alright, I'm done, I give up. And honestly, I think I think you can do both. Yeah, and, and, and I, I do I've both. seen I've seen both, you mm-hmm. know,
0: and and um you, you personally I'd like to say that. Uh, You know, and you go through waves because personally, there's times where I I can't handle it, and there's times where I can't. Um, So yeah, the the disease throws lots of curves. It's it's a roller coaster all the time. Um, What do you see? How do you see your story going from here?
1: Oh well, uh, nothing's ever going to happen to me ever again. Right? Okay. Well
0: then, yeah.
1: Um, No, I mean, I really think that. I mean, this is my hope, and it may be completely wrong. This is you know that assumption, that mix of hopes and assumptions that we call a future. Um, I think that I'm gonna be great. I think that I'm gonna be fine. I think think that nothing else is going to go wrong with me, but if it does, I think I have the tools to deal with it. And I say that now with such ease because I'm in a really good spot. I know that should something go wrong, I would be immediately leveled and And, you know, need all of my resources again. But I've got them there. You know, I've got my sister. I've got my family. I've got my friends. I've got people that care about me. I've got all of the things that I need. And above all, I had the luxury of knowing that it's not the end of me. Because I've gone through it once. You know, because I've, I've come back. I know that I can do it again.
0: Well, I think you're a very strong person. You've shown that. You're sarcastic and you laugh and you're funny and <laughs> and you're uh, you're a babe like you know you tell Woo-hoo! Dennis and um, I just I love talking to you. I could talk to you forever. Um, I just want to thank you for sharing your exuberance.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I enjoy your your spirit as well. You are a great conversationalist and you're obviously very good at this podcasting thing. So I hope you keep it up.
0: Well, I'm gonna keep it up as long as I can and uh, just keep on trying to find people like you who have a lot to share. So. Thank you very much for being here. Absolutely. It's been very fun.
1: It's been great. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the cider.
0: (laughs) So there you have it. A ton of wisdom from a young gal who is newly diagnosed. And it seems to me that she has captured a lot of tools that I really wish I would have captured at a much younger age. Um, I don't know if I'm stubborn or just a slow learner, but there's things that she does the way she looks at the world that is definitely going to help me Um, and I look forward to talking to Nora more again seeing her at the bike MS events and trying to garner some more information from her uh, as we travel through this road this journey of MS and I hope you got something from this conversation I'm Jim Fairchild and I look forward to coming back and talking to you again about how you're really doing